0: Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk Now, just as we start, I want us to have a a think about whether in your last few days you know the the days just filled up and time disappears you know has that been your experience you you might have got the end of day and thought what what have I actually done with today or or uh, yet the day's just gone or you may have got to the end and thought whoa that was that was a full day it's just disappeared you know whatever that stage of life we're in days can just can fill up can't they and, and it's it's a it's a little terrifying, you know. Even uh, what we thought would be a quiet day, we we, we look at our watch, and suddenly it's it's lunch And this kind of idea, it's not just terrifying; it, it's also pretty challenging too, isn't it? Light, uh, time, it's a it's a gift from God. Uh, he's given us uh, to use it for His glory, to use for work, for friendship, for rest, for sleep, for worship. And yet, like sand in our hands, time can just just slip through our fingers, can't it? Our attention distracted, our our minds wandering. Here in Hebrews, God is he, he's drawing our attention back to the one thing that should never slip through our fingers, that really should have our attention, our focus. It, it's kind of like we're looking at a, a menu of so many different things we can do with our time and our energy, and, and God's leaning over our shoulders and just pointing us back to the specials he's pointing us back to the best thing on the menu what is it he's pointing us back to his son now if you remember last week the writer to the hebrews has got us to dwell on the fact that god has spoken if you remember that with the crowning moment being in his in his son and that's um, in our passage today that's still his focus he finished that intro with verse four uh, saying, having become as much superior uh, to angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. But you may have then noticed as we read on, there's, a, there's quite a big focus on angels in this passage. Now, before we dive into the text, we need to have a, just a think about these angels. Why angels? You know, is it because the, the church he, he was, he's writing to, were they tempted by angel worship? Well, no, I don't think so. It's more about the angel's role in what God gets up to in the world. If you remember last week, we saw he was making a comparison between the Old Testament and the New. And to get what's going on here, we need to know that actually angels played a big role in the Old Testament and especially in bringing God's message to people. You see that in 2 verse 2 that we read, uh, "...for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable." God brought his message by angels. In Acts, Stephen, um, uh, just before he's martyred, he talks about how God spoke to Moses in the burning bush through an angel. And then on Mount Sinai, he gave the, the Ten Commandments to Moses through angels. That They were a, a key go-between for God in the old way of doing things. They are even involved in salvation, bringing God's people out of Egypt. So, so like before, when he compared the, the sun... Uh, Jesus to prophets. Now he's comparing the Son to angels. Not because angels are, are, are rubbish, or, uh, but because of how significant they are. Angels were are God's chosen messengers. So this comparison is to show how great Jesus is. It's like I don't know, in the basketball world, to say someone, I don't know, like LeBron James is, is better than Michael Jordan, it's the, it's the biggest compliment, isn't it? Or, I don't know, in the music world, to say Beethoven is even greater than Mozart. You know, you, you, you compare them to a great and you really get the picture. So to say the sun here is even more superior than the angels, well, that's big talk. That's putting Jesus on an extraordinary level of God's revelation. So the, the first question the writer's going to answer um, for us is this, how superior is the Son? He's, he's saying he's superior, but how superior is he? And after he's answered that, he's going to turn it round to us and ask us, well, how much attention are we giving him? But first he answers this, how superior is the Son? And he first shows us his superior name and then his superior nature. So firstly, a superior name. Now, the writer argues his case. I don't know if you notice from, from the Scriptures, from God's speech to us. He does it in seven quotations. And first he focuses on the name. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The writer dives straight into two massive messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. First is from Psalm 2, talking about God's putting his king on Zion. And then the second from, from 2 Samuel 7, where God promises to, to King David a son who's going to have an everlasting kingdom and is going to be called God's son. So what's his superior name? It's son. And son here is a... A loaded word. It's it's about God's appointed king. This is a title. It's a position, an office. It's like being given the most senior rank in a company or in the army or the air force or something, like being made admiral or or field marshal or CEO or something. But, But this is the top one. Just think about it. It's the position given to God's chosen king who rules and reigns over all the earth. It's the, the king who will defeat all the great enemies, such as sin and death and Satan. It's the king who's going to inherit the whole earth. This is a position of greatest honor. And just notice, it's a position that is declared by God himself. It's God who says, you are my son. It's God who says, I will be to him a father. It's God himself who appoints the son. He's not appointed by votes. Not appointed by a group of elders. He's appointed and declared to be the Son by God Himself. But let's not forget the word that God has chosen to use. It's Son. Son, this is a position of of intimacy with God, isn't it? It's closeness. It's a superior name. There is no higher name. It's a position of authority, honor, and closeness to God. It's the name above all names. and It's so high that that Jesus is crowning in heaven, verse 6, let all the angels worship Him a quote that seems to come from deuteronomy and there it's about god's great act of salvation of it egypt bringing his people into the promised land and it's about the honor due actually to god himself he's the savior and so he's to be worshiped and yet the writer is very happy turning it onto the son the son is worthy of that kind of honor and worship from the angels that's the kind of name we're dealing with here how superior is the son? Well, he's got the, the superior name. And he's also got the superior nature. Because it's, it's one thing to ha- for him to have the titles. But we know just because someone is in office, just because someone has a high rank, that doesn't mean they'll live up to their name. You know, we've, we've seen that in our leaders throughout history, haven't we? Being called president or prime minister or first minister doesn't, doesn't mean they'll suddenly be the perfect leader. But Jesus is different. He's different because of his superior nature. Here in verses 7 to 12. And the writer goes back to the angels. What do we see of them? Well, we see they're created. They're like wind and fire. They're ministers. That means servants. See that again in verse 14. He says, uh, the writer calls them ministering spirits. Yes, they're important. But just creatures to serve. But not Jesus. No, he's higher than them. Verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. These verses are from a marriage psalm. Speaking of God's King. And just notice how the Son is described here. First, he's put on par with God himself. Your throne, O God's. Then his rule is described as everlasting. It's forever and ever. That's a pretty God kind of time span. Then he looks at how he rules. He rules with uprightness and perfect justice. He's loving righteousness and hating wickedness. He rules like God himself. The, The writer is turning this up a notch. Not only does he have a superior name, he's got a superior nature. He is God himself. The king is one who is just like God. It's then shown again in the next quotation, Psalm 102, verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Now here the contrast isn't just to angels, is it? It's to the whole of creation. He was there in the beginning and he'll be there at the end. He was there when creation was founded and he'll be there when creation wears out, when creation rolls up and fades like like an old pair of trousers. The knees have worn through, the patches have torn off, the zip's broken and it's ready for the bin. But not Jesus, not the Son. He's different. He's, he's before and after. He's, he's of eternity, not just of creation. He's a superior nature. Th- this matters because it gives integrity behind the name. Yes, uh, Jesus might have the name, but he also can fulfill that role. The fact that God gave his, this name to Jesus should be enough for us. But these these verses just give us a trust in the person who is filling it. And then the writer puts it all back together. In verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Quoting from Psalm 110. Of course, none. He's only ever said it of the Son. God's declared Jesus Christ to be the Son. Yes, angels are worthy messengers, ministering spirits. But Jesus, he's on a whole different level uh, years ago, I was uh, speaking to someone who used to run uh, boat trips in Western Australia, and um, they were to see whale sharks, whale sharks that migrate there in the winter. And, and whale sharks, they are massive. If you don't know, they're, they're, these guys, they're the biggest fish in the sea. They're normally about 10 meters long. They're an amazing sight. But I remember him telling me about one special time. They were out in the boat, watching the, the giant whale sharks swimming near them, when suddenly a different sort of creature swam into view. It was a blue whale, a creature over double the length of a whale shark, ten times heavier, the true giant of the ocean. And the whale sharks, they just, they just paled into insignificance as mouths dropped and, and cameras clicked at this new, greater, superior sight. Angels, they may be wonderful, but the sun... The angels just pale into insignificance. Do we really believe it? You know, perhaps we can think God's old way of doing things was better, actually. We, we kind of wish now was like then. Perhaps you've read the Old Testament and you th- thought, I-, I wish I'd seen that angel, or I wish I'd experienced that cool moment. You know, like seeing the burning bush or, or, or even being on the hillside when angels turned up to the shepherds. Perhaps you thought, if if I just saw that, I would believe more. Of course, it would have been amazing to see those things. But what we've just heard shows us they are nothing compared to the Son. Jesus has the superior name, the superior nature. Peter in his... His first letter talks about how the prophets were searching and inquiring into the nature and timings of the Christ. He says, even the angels were longing to see what we now know. The prophets and angels, they were longing to see this day. They were longing to know of the sun. They only saw dimly. Perhaps, I don't know, it's our longing actually for the visual. It's what we want. We, We long to see rather than just to hear. Now we will see, but, but God has chosen now to come to us in words, to speak to us, to bring a message to our hearts, actually via our ears and our imaginations, not our eyes. But he hasn't come with a lesser message because of that, but with his superior son, the greatest words actually we could hear. Don't think God's old way of doing things were better. Well, perhaps it's not just his old ways we think are better. Perhaps we actually start to think similarly about people around us now. We think they're better. Perhaps they're people we really pay attention to. You know, we love to hear them. Perhaps they're famous Christian teachers. We love their books. We have to watch them on TV. Or Perhaps they're just people we trust, people of wisdom or good judgment. Maybe they're pop psychologists that we're really into at the moment. Now, to listen to them, Now, that can be a good thing if they're pointing us to Jesus. You know, enjoy a good preacher if they're pointing you to Jesus. But we need to remember who they are. Remember their their names or their titles. They may be teacher or guru or or leader or friend. Remember, they are not the Son. You know, perhaps they're self-appointed or respected by many. Remember, they were not declared by God himself to be his Son with his eternal words. You know, great teachers, pastors, wise counselors, they're, they're here to serve. They're here to worship the Son like the angels. Their, their wisdom, if it's not related to the Son, it's just going to roll up and wear out like creation. But not the Son. Not Jesus. He was before everything, and he'll outlive everything. How superior is the Son? He's gloriously superior, isn't he? Well, if that's the case, the writer then turns things onto us. This isn't just a, a nice lecture, a nice bit of information. The camera, in a sense, then swings round from the speaker to the audience. And the question becomes, well, if that's true, how much attention are we giving him? How much attention are we giving him? Just have a listen from, from chapter two, verse one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard What's the big idea? Well, he's he's saying we've got two options, actually. Given what we know about how amazing the sun is, we've got two responses. One, it's there in verse 1. We must pay much closer attention. And the other's there in verse 3. It's to neglect such a great salvation. Close attention or neglect. So we'll see close attention or drift. Obviously, the right response here is much closer attention, verse 1. We must pay much closer attention. He's asking us, how much attention are we giving him? Are we giving him more attention? Now, to to spur us on, he's just spent these previous chapters persuading us of a glorious son. I hope that over the last 10 minutes you felt that. That's why he says, therefore, we must pay closer attention. But in these few verses, he adds one more thing to sweeten the deal. He reminds us of the reliability of it all. Yes, the angel's message was reliable. But this is even more so verse 3. It's a, it's a message that came to us from Jesus. And the eyewitnesses, I suppose, uh, earwitnesses as well, they told us what they'd seen and heard. And if that wasn't enough, then God's on the scene showing us this was the real deal. As the apostles spread the gospel, God gave signs and wonders and miracles to certify it, giving kind of the rubber stamp of approval. It's totally reliable. Jesus, eyewitnesses, and God himself. Why wouldn't we pay attention to it? But the key thing is to the Son, isn't it? The superior Son. If that's who the focus is, then, then like seeing that blue whale in a sense, of course we put our attention to Jesus, don't we? If God expected reverence and attention from his people before Jesus, from his people who heard from him via angels, then how much more does he expect the same from us? But what does closer attention mean? Perhaps think of it like a, a boat sticking to its course. In the midst of the wind and the waves, it, it stays in the right direction, stays on target. Perhaps we see this kind of close attention in, in top athletes often. They have a single-minded focus. Their energies, their time, even the pain, it's all set on the one goal of winning. But for us, it's fixing our eyes and our hearts on Jesus, focusing our whole lives on Him. But you notice he says, closer attention. To keep growing. To grow in, in keeping on track. Because often, I think we grow in our attention in loads of other ways in our lives. You know, maybe we're people who, who pay closer attention to our, our personal finances. We, we check the spreadsheets, the bank accounts, the, we spend evenings totting up the balance book. Or, or perhaps uh, you pay closer attention, to, uh, I don't know, to the new fashions coming out this year. You check the magazines, the designer websites. Or, or perhaps it's to your studies for exams or your music practice or your computer gaming or your, your football stats or to the next bit of Lego you're making, whatever be. We all know what it means to to grow in paying attention to something. To pay closer attention. To to study. To engage our whole being. Be single-minded. But here it's not just a hobby. It's on the Son of God Himself. It's on the One who will outlast all your hobbies. He's the One who is the spoken superior Word of God. If we're you know, if we're willing to give our time and our energy to those good and fun things, and we should, then, then surely to the Son. Have a think. How much attention are you giving Him? That's why we started uh, this sermon just by thinking about how our days can just disappear. Now, some of us might be in a crazy passage of life. I don't know, you've got a baby keeping you up day and night, or your, your work deadlines push you deep into the night. But most of us will have space in our diaries, if we're honest. You know, we have space to give time and energy to our hobbies and to social media, to keeping up our friendships and our shopping. But do we give our our time and energy to paying closer attention to the Son, to keeping our our whole life centered on Him? Do we listen carefully to His Word, giving it thoughtful engagement? Do we reflect on, on what we've heard or what we've read? Do we consider whether we really believe it? Do we just look at the big ideas or do we love Jesus in the details too? Do you read your scriptures carefully? Do you listen to sermons thoughtfully? Do you get books about Jesus? Do you get others to help you know him more? Are you giving your your best time and energy to the Son? And perhaps you know people who are like this, who do this. They just seem to know Jesus well, don't they? The way they they speak of him it just has an intimacy and a reverence. They, their prayers are fueled by what Jesus is like. They seem to know Jesus' grace shown to us in the cross and, and of his glory in his resurrection. They persevere when life's hard. Why? Because they, they know Jesus' love for them. They're people who pay much closer attention to what they've heard about him. Perhaps you're one of them. You probably wouldn't admit it because you always know there's... There's more of Jesus to know. But let me tell you, you're, you're a wonderful encouragement to the rest of us. But for the others of us, the writer not only gives us the glory of the sun in this passage, but he also drops in a warning. He does this a few times through the letter, but here it's the warning of drift. It's not either you pay much closer attention or you pay a little bit of attention. No, it's closer attention or drift. Think of it like driving a car in, in snowy conditions. As you drive along a mountain road, the car will do one of two things. Okay? Either it's going to stick to the road and it's going to head to where it's meant to go, or it will drift towards the cliff edge. There's no middle ground. It's the same in the Christian life. If you're not going forwards, you're going backwards. Perhaps think of it like taking life-saving medicine, like like pills that kill off a deadly disease. You know, if you take the pills, you're heading towards a great salvation. If you, if you stop taking them, you're heading towards death, aren't you? The writer wants us to know that. Verse 2 of chapter 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglecting the glorious truth God has given us does come with consequences. Drift isn't towards normality. It's towards God's rightful condemnation of us. To neglect Christ, to neglect Jesus, while well, we do so at our peril. You know, Perhaps we're, we're happy to neglect something a friend has told us. But to neglect, let's say, what a judge has to, told you to do in court... Well, we know we neglected it at our peril there are consequences how much attention are we giving to the sun it's challenging isn't it perhaps you've, you've heard the message of Jesus for many years but you know for yourself actually drift has set in you're kind of here by accident you haven't prayed actually in a long time well listen to how great the sun is Hear the warning. Get back on the train. Come back to the sun. Or perhaps you've never called yourself a Christian, but you can see how much of a big deal he is. Or well, don't delay. Turn your focus on him. There's no one greater. There is no one better. Or perhaps you know of a friend who's drifting. Be like the writer to the Hebrews. Get on their case. In love and kindness and gentleness... Point them back to Jesus. Show them how superior the Son is. Because we need help, don't we? We need help to pay closer attention. We need each other. Let's be people who point one another to our great King, to the superior Son. Let's, let's point one another to His name and His nature. Let's, let's help those who are drifting. Let's help one another so we might all hear God Himself. Amen.